happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. Before this episode begins, I want to make sure you know that this series gets into some things that might be triggering to some listeners, specifically depression and suicide. If you or someone that you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please seek assistance from a mental health professional or visit the National Institute of Mental Health's website at nimh.nih.gov for resources. If you're in crisis right now, you can call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, or text HELLO to 741-741 to talk to someone right away. Thanks for listening. Picture you're on a roller coaster. You sit down, strap yourself in. It's the moment of decision. There's no going back. The ride begins. First, there's a small drop, just enough to give the car the momentum it needs before the real start, the big climb. The car hooks into the chain with a jolt, and the chain begins pulling you up. You rise slowly, so slow it's torturous. Maybe you squeeze your eyes shut, overcome with delicious anticipation, and just listen to the clanking and clicking as you ascend. Or maybe you survey your surroundings, seeing farther and farther out the higher you go. Either way, it begins to feel like the climb will never end. But eventually, it does. You reach the top. You know what comes next. First, though, the car sits at the apex. It's as if the whole world has come to a standstill, like you're so high up, the laws of time no longer apply. A moment feels like hours. Everything is absolutely motionless. Maybe you hear some distant screaming far off, some people on another ride across the park. But up here, it's like you're suspended in amber, a moment of perfect, terrifying stillness. I think that's kind of where we are with this show. For the last three episodes, we've been working up the coaster together, its rickety beams starting to prove they can hold weight. But now we're here. It's the point where I'm supposed to do the big reveal, the big drop. But before I do, before I finally tell you how yes, I did connect with Alice, and yes, she did indeed sound just like Britney Spears, and yes, our conversation filled in a missing piece I'd felt since getting Alex's goodbye email, I want to sit here with you for a second, at the top, the pinnacle. I want to look out at the world we've got in front of us and tell you the truth of how I'm feeling at this stage in our story. The truth is that I'm terrified. Yeah, I'm the guy who walks at the front of my friend group at every haunted house, but I'm also the person who has a hard time putting my faith in anything. And right now, I'm scared to take the leap. See, when I was just looking for Alice, it was like I was playing a game, submitting to one of Alex's fantasies. But now, it's real. Alice is within reach. She's a real person. And I'm afraid she might slip between my fingers, just like Alex did. Until now, I've been telling this neat story about trying to find the unfindable, playing investigator in one of Alex's fantastical games. But here we are. 
I found what I was looking for. And it feels like it could all fall apart at any moment. I'm Chris Stedman, and this is Unread, Episode 4, Give Me a Sign. When I first find Alice, the stakes don't feel nearly so high. That's because I assume I'm just reaching out to a copycat, someone who took her Twitter username after she disappeared. I'm looking for someone named Alice, I write. Someone who sounds like Britney Spears and used to appear in voice chat rooms with Britney fans many years ago. A friend of mine used to text with her, I say, and he died. So I'm trying to track her down. I'm assuming your name was just inspired by her, but I'm wondering if you know anything about her or where I might find her. But to my surprise, she says that it could have been her. She also says there was another person with a similar username though, and people would mix them up. She asks who my friend was, and I tell her his name was Alex. There are only two Alexes in my phone, she says, and I'm still in touch with both. But then she realizes she has a third Alex in her phone. I'm actually talking to Shoshi when it happens. Hold on. <gasps> oh my God. I'm sorry. She responded? Got... She did. What did she say? She said, I have one more Alex in my contacts. And he went by Alex Germanata. <laughs> like Lady Gaga's last huh, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could that be him, you think? Question mark. Yeah. It's possible. We always use celebrity names as a pseudonym. Shoshi suggests I give Alice the area code for Alex's phone number to see if it's a match. A little over nine hours later, Alice responds again, saying it's not. My heart sinks. He must have been talking with someone else. Maybe the other person Alice mentioned, the one people sometimes confuse her with. But then, a couple minutes later, she sends another message. Wait. And then, oh my god, could he have gone by Ambient? Ambient, short for Ambient Hollow. The same name Shoshi tells me was one of Alex's first email addresses. The same name he used on the Britney forum when he met Dua. So I ask Alice again about the area code, this time for Ambient. She responds and... It's a match. Just to be sure, I ask her to give me the next three numbers of his phone number. Again, a match. There she was. Just over a year after Alex's death, I found her. Finding Alice feels like sitting at the top of one of Alex's beloved coasters, the same mix of euphoria and dread you get right before that drop. At first, I'm overjoyed, caught up in giddy shock. On some level, I never thought I'd actually find her. Certainly not as soon as I did. But then, very quickly, the dread rushes in. I've just broken the news that someone she knew had died. I'd been living with the reality of Alex's death for a year, but for her, it was brand new information. Her next messages are devastating. They'd been good friends, she says. She can't believe he's gone. I offer her what little I can, my sympathy and a willingness to answer any questions she has. We keep chatting late into the night and early morning. At one point, I pose the question, would she be willing to do an interview so that I could ask her about Alex, their relationship, and who she is? She replies, yeah, okay, I'll do it for him. I'm overcome. 
we set a time to talk in a few days. We message on and off the next day, talking about Alex and our grief over his death. The day after that, though, I open my DMs to see a new message. My heart sinks again. She's pulling out. She wants to help, but she doesn't want to do an interview. I understand, I say, emphasizing that I don't want her to do anything she's uncomfortable with. But I tell her I hope we can still chat so I can learn more about her connection with Alex. I send my response and stuff my phone back into my pocket, terrified that the next time I pull it out to look at my DMs, she'll be gone. As I wait to hear back from Alice, I'm drowning in uncertainty. It feels a little bit like the day after I got Alex's goodbye email, when I waited to hear if my friend who was prone to disappearing had disappeared for the last time. I had no clue what to do with myself the day after getting his email. After lying awake in bed most of the night, I got up early and just wandered Minneapolis with my dog, trudging without direction in a daze. Eventually, while wandering, my mind drifted to Alex's visit to Minnesota, how the one thing he wanted to do was ride those indoor coasters at the Mall of America. I wanted to feel close to him, so I decided to go ride the ones he loved. His favorite was the Rock Bottom Plunge. The name is funny, but that's not why Alex loved it. It's probably the most intense ride the mall has to offer. It begins with a steep climb, basically 90 degrees, straight up to a peak just below the theme park's glass ceiling. That peak is followed by a sheer drop, one so steep and fast it gives you the momentum you need to make it through the loop that follows. It was a weekday and the mall was pretty empty. There was no line and I basically had the coaster to myself. As the ride slowly climbed, I felt all my anxiety over the unknowns of Alex's death grow. But eventually, I reached the top. It was perfectly quiet, and then, the drop. For just a moment, as we plummeted straight down to the ground, I felt all my uncertainties leave, like we were going fast enough to outrun them. As the coaster carried me around the loop, turning the world on its axis, I swore I could hear Alex's laugh, so infectious I couldn't help but join in. After the ride, I went to one of the food courts where I got confirmation that they'd found his body. I stayed there for a while. My food got cold. Eventually, I walked back to the theme park in the mall center. Not to ride this time, just to watch the coaster loop again and again. Alex had two coaster tattoos, and I'd later commemorate this moment by getting one of them while FaceTiming with Shoshi. Dua got the other. In the months that followed, both Beth and Shoshi would visit Minnesota and ride the same coaster with me. It became iconography for our shared grief, a totem to the joy Alex brought into our lives, to how he could always make us laugh, even in the moments when everything felt upside down. While I wait for Alice's next message, I go digging back into all the material Alex left behind. He left a lot, all organized for us. Here's Shoshi, the keeper of his files. Everything was very purposeful. He had all of his important paperwork all labeled. It was very specific. I've never heard, honestly, and I'm sure it exists, but I've never heard of anyone who did so much sort of purposeful planning. It's not common. I'm part of so many suicide grief groups, and I mean, I haven't even heard of one other story that's like his. Alex not only ordered all of his documents, belongings, and digital files, he also put together a bunch of stuff for us. Playlists of his favorite songs on Spotify, a collection of YouTube videos that made him laugh or helped him relax, and a Google folder, all of which he directed us to in his goodbye emails. The Google folder has a lot of photos from his life, but there are also a ton of pictures of Britney, memes, and screenshots of his online antics. It's where I found Alex's prank pregnancy Facebook post, and there are also grabs of his many suspended Twitter accounts. My favorite was the one he made pretending to be customer service for Six Flags. It began as a parody, but then he started actually helping people. 
Most of the screenshots and memes are snapshots of his online play, but three of them feel very different from the rest. The first of these is a meme. It's a close-up photo of a person whispering into someone's ear, followed by another photo of arm hairs standing on end, a common meme format. The accompanying text, I won't abandon you when your mental illness acts up. This was something Alex talked to me about several times, how some people only wanted to be around him when he was at his most functioning. James remembers a time they were getting ready to hang out after an extended time apart and how, shortly before he left, Alex texted him to give him a heads up that he wasn't feeling like he would be the life of the party that day. He was apologetic and said he understood if James didn't want to meet up. To hear him mention that he was self-conscious about hanging out with me because he wasn't going to be like, you know, on in big air quotes, um, that he wasn't going to be as fun to be around. It broke my heart to hear him say that. To feel that you have to like be able to perform just to be around people and that's the only like valid reason to see they see to be around you is um that's tough. There are two more things that jump out at me in Alex's Google folder. One is a quote from The Ascent of Humanity, a book by Charles Eisenstein that I'll come back to in a second. The other is a news clipping about a British man who took his life after he was denied government assistance despite his physical disabilities and mental illness. Because this man was denied assistance, the clipping said, he couldn't afford to eat or pay rent, and shortly before he was set to be evicted from his home, ended up taking his life. While he was alive, Alex regularly tried to seek out care, often at our urging, but ultimately felt like he couldn't get the assistance he needed in the healthcare system as it exists right now. He also died with a great deal of debt. Leaving this news clipping among his photos and memes felt like a clear message about how the world treats people who struggle, about how it sometimes isn't enough to have a support system of friends like Alex did. After finding it, I tell Shoshi about the news clipping. The Eisenstein quote comes up too. I think that was one thing that maybe a lot of people didn't really know about him was how deeply he really felt about society and about the way society treated a lot of people, especially those who were destitute or ill, whether physically or mentally. He felt very strongly about that. It actually reminds me, there was one other thing in um, the Google folder. It's this quote from a book and it says, we find in our culture a loneliness and hunger for authenticity that may well be unsurpassed in history. We try to build community, not realizing that mere intention is not enough when separation is built into the very social and physical infrastructure of our society. To the extent that this infrastructure is intact in our lives, we will never experience community. Wow. It just made me think about between that and then this, um, this screenshot of this news story, I think that it was not not a factor in Alex's decision that his life was difficult and the world was not set up for someone like him to thrive. I 100% think that that was a factor. And I, I look at these things in the Google folder and I see little like breadcrumbs in a way of being like, this is part of why I, I made this decision, you know? Yeah, I think that he left those things specifically for that reason. I mean, he didn't just leave some random news article or you know, page of a book with all of these pictures. What he chose to leave was very specific, which does bring back the Alice <laughs> stuff, totally. you know? I mean, he was very specific. Um, I do really think that one of the reasons that he did do what he did was he had a serious hatred for society. There are a lot of reasons to hate the world as it exists right now, especially when you struggle with mental health. There are just so many obstacles. After Alex died, I couldn't stop thinking about Alice, but I also couldn't stop thinking about all the challenges he faced, about how there are so many barriers for people who struggle in the ways Alex did. And while waiting to hear from Alice makes me feel uncertain, Thinking about Alex's obstacles fills me with rage. Whether or not I can talk to Alice, I wanted to talk to someone 
who can help me understand how we might better support people in Alex's position. I'm Ivy Stacklow. Um, I use he, him pronouns. I work as hotline program director at Trans Lifeline, which is a nationwide U.S. trans-led nonprofit that does direct service work. I reached out to Trans Lifeline for a few reasons, though what first caught my attention about them is that they appear to be the only crisis line that has a no non-consensual intervention policy, meaning they will not call the cops on someone who doesn't want them to. Ivy and I discussed why people in Alex's situation so often fall through the cracks. We talked for a long time, and I'm going to play just a little of our conversation without interruption because I found what Ivy shared so helpful. So a big part of the reason, I think, why suicidality is viewed and presented the way that it is here in particular is because realistically speaking, right, let's say like, let's take us as trans people. It is a very rational response to not want to be alive in a society that doesn't want you to be alive, right? That's a very normal thing. But the way that it's portrayed is that you're having this crazy irrational moment that will just pass with the right amount of intervention and like the right amount of like keeping you from doing whatever you feel you need to do. And so I think that in order to address suicidality and address mental health crisis especially like from you know what's called minority stress right like from the experiences that marginalized people have in the society day in and day out it would require society to recognize that it is profoundly unjust right it would require society to recognize that suicidality and crisis are normal and rational responses to the way that people are being treated and that i think is the root of actually addressing crisis is people need to have social rights, people need to have economic rights. Yeah, this is a really reductive way of putting it, but it's like making mental health care proactive instead of just reactive. Right, and then if you have that fundamental understanding, right, I think it's a lot easier to build systems that are actually based on empathy and based on actual understanding. You know, if you look at mental health responses that exist in other countries, they don't involve police at all. You know, there's profound flaws with every system. There's profound flaws with every type of checking in on a person. But I think that, you know, one of the best things we can do, and this is truly, you know, it's a Band-Aid on on a huge, huge gaping wound of injustice in this country, just be there for each other. What's been your experience with this? You know, like, have you had conversations about... um, other friends that your friend left behind. Obviously, you know, one of the things many people experience after someone ends their life is feelings of regret or guilt. Is there something I could have done differently? I've gone through all of that. Um, and and I don't want to sort of just dismiss those feelings I, it, either. I want to take them seriously and say, okay, what would I learn? What would I take from this and apply to my relationships moving forward? Are there moments when I, you know, wish I would have asked more questions or, you know, responded in another way. And so, you know, I just find myself thinking like on an individual level, how do I want my behavior to be toward the people I love moving forward? But also on a systemic level, what about this society failed, Alex? And what would I like to see transformed, I guess? Yeah, I think those are all really good questions. And I think, you know, it's very easy, right, in retrospect, to find ways that something could have been in your power, right? To to adjust or to change. Um, and it's useful to think going forward, like how can I um, be more intentional about like listening to or being there for my friends and loved ones? You know, what are things that I could be paying attention to in terms of just being a better source of support? Not necessarily with like the lens towards my friends might die if I don't do this, but just in general, right? Um, Because we're all going through absolutely horrific times right now. We're all struggling right now, you know, in different ways. In terms of how to have better conversations about this, I think it's just a matter of putting the blame where it belongs. It's very, very, very easy for us when we're talking to a person we care about in crisis to blame the person in crisis or to take the onus on yourself, right? And say, oh, there's maybe, maybe there's something I can do. 
because it helps you feel in control. It helps you feel like there must be something that this person can do to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and not feel this way. But I think that acknowledging that we exist under very unjust and deeply traumatizing circumstances, especially for marginalized people, um, helps us to have more candid, more honest, and in the end, more fruitful conversations about how to survive it. A big part of why I'm so scared Alice might disappear is that we've connected online, a space that can be immensely freeing, as it was for Alex, but that also makes it easy to disappear. I asked Ivy about why people seek support in spaces where they can be anonymous, like the internet. If you know that there is a possibility that if you say the wrong thing, somebody's going to come and either interact with you against your consent or take you away somewhere bring law enforcement to your door. You're just simply less likely to trust that resource and you're less likely to be honest with somebody who's supposed to be supporting you. So truly that's really the foundational element of that. Trust. Ultimately, I think that's why Alex went online in search of anonymous spaces where he could share what he was struggling with in ways he didn't even always share with those of us who knew him offline. He could trust them to keep his secrets. It's also why I want to talk to Alice, not to ask for his secrets, but to find out if that's true, if they shared that kind of trust. But I completely understand that she has no reason to trust me. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I tell the Thor Daniels group that Alice says she's pulling out of our interview. Hoping to put her at ease, Dua records a video appealing to her directly for me to pass along. It opens with him holding a banana to his ear like a phone. Oh, hey, banana, Alice. Long time no see. <laughs> this is actually not a prop, but I do comedy. Um, well, I'm here to give you pros and cons of being on the Where's Alice episode on the podcast. First of all, it has your name in it, so your nickname. So I think the star should always show up. That's like common sense. Second of all, I'm in it. I just did my part with Chris, and it was like a chill vibe. So um, I was in chat on Tiny Chat when you were with Alex, and let me tell you, like the only thing I would really like for us to collaborate on the show is to bring the memories back. You know, people can take everything away from you, but they can, but they can never take memories away. And now that Alex is gone, it's kind of like something that we all just have his memories and 
well, our memories of him. It would be weird if we have his memories because, like, telekinesis. I don't know what I'm saying, but what I'm trying to say is that it was such a fantasy that you perform in that tiny chair because we thought for a minute it was real. Like, is it really Britney? You know what? People, maybe it will give people, like, mm moment while they listen to it. And, like, don't you love that mm moment? I do. Later that day, while I wait for her to respond, James mentions he's found something interesting in one of the last texts Alex sent him about a year before he ended his life. As it turns out, it's a photo of Alex next to a taxidermied bear in a pink wig. We hop on video chat to talk about it. He sent a selfie. I said, you look great, but can we also please talk about the bear in the pink wig behind you? What's her name? Um, And he said, Alice. He said what? He said, Alice. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? The skeptic in me wants to be like, Alice is a common name. But (laughs) the other part of me is like, even if it's just subconscious, the fact that this name Alice is like what springs to mind for him when you're like, what's the name of this bear in the Britney wig? Well, that's the thing. Like immediately after he said the bear's name is Alice, he sent me a photo of a closer shot of the bear in the pink wig. And then photoshopped really poorly right next to it is Britney Spears in the pink wig. Like... It's not a coincidence. It might seem trivial, but to me, it feels like confirmation that Alice really was still on Alex's mind in the end. I want to tell her about it, but as far as I know, she's still not planning on talking. Midway into our chat, James and I take a bathroom break. When I get back to my computer, I have a new notification. Are you there? Hey, I'm back if you are. I just sat down. First of all, okay, I have to share this because it literally has just happened right now as we're talking, but I just heard back from Alice. No way. She's watched Dua's video. She said, oh, sweetheart, thank him so much for trying to help me gain the strength to participate in this. I appreciate it more than y'all know. I'm just extremely anxious when it comes to this stuff. That's why I never came back, like never came back online. She was gone for years, and she only just came back, like, right when I was looking for her. Damn. Wow. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm just... My, I've had a stomach ache for the last three <laughs> days straight. I can't, uh, I can't imagine. I'm not going to respond to her immediately, because I feel like this is such an online thing. I feel like I'm responding <laughs> to her too quickly. <laughs> it's like I'm texting with somebody who I just met on an app or something. I'm like feeling like I'm responding too quickly. I don't want to be... I'm trying to play it cool, you know? It's like you're texting Alex on Instagram, like afraid he's just going to like disappear again. I don't end up waiting all that long, because I'm afraid she'll slip between my fingers. We're still technically scheduled to talk the next morning, but as we chat, she's cagey about whether she'll show. Just two hours before the time we originally set, she says she'll be there. I decide to go for a walk to calm down. It's January, and the ground is coated in ice from a melt and refreeze. I'm nervous, I'm cold, I'm holding a piping hot coffee, and I wipe out hard. My left knee is bruised and blood blisters are forming on the hand I used to try and catch myself, but I'm able to get up and hobble home. There's no way I'm missing this call. I sit down at my computer and stare at the screen with Zoom open. I'm hesitant to do anything else while I wait in case Alice only flits on the screen for a second and I miss her. A few minutes after our agreed upon meeting time, Another user appears in the room. Like me, they've got their video turned off. But unlike my blank Zoom avatar, there's an image. The photo of Britney in that Alice in Wonderland Halloween costume. You'll have to forgive me, but I know that you were expressing how nervous you were. I don't know if it helps any, but I'm nervous to talk to you too. It's really sweet of you to work so hard to find me you know, and tell me. I just feel like there was a reason why he, you know, sent me the audio of you guys talking um, in his goodbye email. And I just really wanted to find you. So I'm just very emotional about having found you. And I really appreciate your openness to talking with me. So thank you. Yeah, you know, I really cared about him. That voice, it's Alice. It's really her. When you contacted me, I 
I still didn't know 100% what his real name was. Huh. But that didn't matter, you know. That's so interesting, though, because you guys talked about such personal stuff, yeah? Yeah, we would, but not the... Not the small talk it, details. No, no, nothing like that. So was it mostly like about stuff that you guys were struggling with or just like sharing where you were at? Sometimes it was, um, but sometimes it was also just, you know, our favorite movies and just music. Yeah. and Yeah, or Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, or Taco Bell. You know, it's like <laughs> things like that. Yeah, he loved Taco Bell. Weird. It's so weird to talk about him like this, you know, like in past tense and it's hard. Just can't believe it. We talk about our grief for a while, but I also have a million questions. I ask about her voice. It's really how she talks, she says. I ask if she's Brittany. She says she's not. I ask if she knew she sounded like her before the chats. She had a sense before a friend encouraged her to join in, she says, but it wasn't until she was there that she realized just how similar they sound. But mostly, I want to know about her relationship with Alex. This was no fleeting connection, she explains. They kept in touch for years, mostly over text, but they would also talk on the phone sometimes, for hours. They understood one another in a very special way, she says. Their conversations were like therapy. Open. Honest. No, he really understood what I was going through. Like, we had similar issues, really. You know, with a deep depression and um, stuff like that. You know, he really understood when a lot of people, you know, they try to understand, but they, they, they don't you know, if they haven't gone through that type of depression. And there's just so much, you know, therapy can do because, you know, they're professionals and stuff like that. But when it comes to like a person who really like understands, you know, there's nothing like that. Nothing can beat that. Is that part of why you would go online? Like, were you going into, because I know that's something Alex did was he would go online to like connect with people and there was almost something about the anonymity of it that like helped him feel more open to be able to share. Is that, was that kind of your experience too? Yeah, I think so. And um, because of circumstances, like I didn't really have access to my friends and stuff like that. So I would go on there and I would like, I had friends there. We would, you know, we would hang out and it's like talk about, all these things, you know, and it didn't matter really that it was on the internet because it felt, it felt real. I mean, it is real. Um, you said when you talked a couple times, it was like for hours. Was mm -hmm. that, was it like one of those things where you just sort of almost lose track of time because the conversation's going so many ways? <laughs> yeah, sort of like, you know, when you're in love, you know, you lose track of time and you start talking and nothing and like nothing can stop you. It's kind of like that, but obviously you weren't in love. I mean, it sounds like you guys loved each other. Yeah, I loved him. Alex and Alice fell out of touch when he dropped out of most everyone else's lives. But as it turns out, it's in part because Alice changed her number around the same time Alex did. Can't stop thinking about it. You know, like, why did I change my number that last time? Exactly when he did. He couldn't find me, and I couldn't find him. Yeah. Both of us just thought, you know, the other one wanted space. And the thing is, he did not want to be found, you know? I mean... That was what he wanted, was to disappear, you know? I tried texting him, and it, I just never heard back. He had a very dark view of the world sometimes. Can you say more about that? I'm interested in what he shared with you about it. I don't know if he thought this all the time, but sometimes he would say, you know, that the world was an evil place, and he was unhappy. Yeah. I'd try to tell him not to be so negative, you know? 
Alice and Alex would share their darker truths with one another when they talked, because that's just how they both were. They would talk about the big things, their mental health, their views of the world, the meaning of life. Sometimes, like, it was so deep, like, about God or the universe or stuff like that. She loved listening to him talk about anything. It's hard to find the words to describe him. Like you said, he was very unique. He was very mysterious and really sweet. (laughs) Very smart. Very, very smart. One of the smartest people. He had an opinion about everything. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't unusual for them to go a while without talking, though. They would drift apart, sometimes for really long stretches, but they would always find their way back to one another eventually. Whenever they reunited, they'd dive right back into the deep end. He didn't like small talk, you know, so... No, he didn't. We never, you know, did the how are you and what's going on with you and stuff like that. We would just jump right into conversation. He had no taste for small talk at all and just wanted to talk about what was real. Yeah, it was really like that. Because that's why he kept us in his life. Yeah, I think so. It wasn't all serious, though. Alex always knew how to make Alice laugh. He knew when to be the funny guy. Totally. He, He could feel it if you were in a bad place. He would offer his humor to Alice as a gift like he did for me in all the video messages and memes he sent whenever I was having a hard time. But while some people made Alex feel like they only valued him when he was the life of the party, he didn't have to put up a front with Alice. I think that he knew that he didn't have to be the funny guy with me. It's bittersweet, but I am so grateful to know that she and Alex really were friends that it wasn't just some random, brief interaction years ago. I still can't believe I really thought I wasn't going to find you. I'm so happy that I did. I wonder if there's a reason that he chose you to find me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he maybe thought he wouldn't give up. Because <laughs> he knew it would be hard. <laughs> he knew it would drive me up the wall. I know I've said this like 20 times, but I really just am so sorry. Yeah, me too. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess, the 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about Indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So, okay. Hi, everyone. Um, so I did talk to Alice this morning. <laughs> you did. Come on, guys. Yay! Please recording. <laughs> Just moments after I've hung up with Alice, I'm on a call with the Thor Daniels group, who were all eagerly waiting to hear from me. So what happened? <laughs> so we talked, we talked literally up till 10 minutes before I got on this call with all of you. So we talked for like so two long? hours. They asked the obvious burning questions. She what was her voice? It was the same. It was the Britney voice. Yeah. She just God. actually sounds like that. Yeah. She, Fuck off. That's insane. Wow. We debate a bit about whether or not she's Britney. Because we're all clinging on to the fact that it's still actually Britney. <laughs> it's not Britney. <laughs> we want it to be Britney. It's not Britney. I'm lonely. I want to know everything. It could be, though, right? I mean, anything is technically <laughs> possible, but I really don't think it's Britney. I'm pretty convinced she isn't, but in a funny role reversal, my friends have now become the skeptics, and they are grilling me. Do you have her phone number? No, I or don't. Or have you guys have just been... Number. Wait, does she live in LA? Why do you all, you're all obsessed with the little details. You want to know her real And look, in the end, I can't prove she isn't Britney. I didn't do some of the things Carrie would probably advise me to do in order to verify her identity. I just got enough information to confirm they for sure knew one another, and the rest I take on faith. It's not what's important to me, and also, I want to honor her friendship with Alex and the fact that they both sought out anonymous connections online. Even though they shared deep parts of their lives, he never shared his actual name, and I don't want to pry into the details she's chosen to withhold either. So I take her at her word that she's being honest. I set aside my skepticism and adopt the kind of faith Alex did when he logged on. Because to me, what matters most, what is most real, isn't found in her name or any other detail about her life or identity. It's in hearing about the connection she and Alex shared, and then sharing that with other people who loved him too. This is like the best ending to this yeah. saga. This I mean, is incredible. I, I can't believe it, really. Yeah, that's wild. Chris, congratulations <laughs> on finding Alice. Thank oh. you. Thanks, everyone, hey, all of you, for all your help. Um, Thank you for being so nice. It's Alice, bitch. <laughs> When Alex entered our lives, many of us were worried about following life's rules. But he helped us see another possibility, another way of being in the world. I think that's one of the reasons why many of us were his friend is because even like if I knew I was like still on my path, even just like spending a week with Alex was like a vacation from that path. And it just always felt like so good. People might look at Alex's wandering life and all of his online games and think he was irresponsible. But while exploring Alex's digital life and talking to his friends, I've come to realize that he just had a different understanding of what it means to be responsible. Like while I was prioritizing my career, Alex was prioritizing me. I think that Alex didn't see value in a lot of things that society asks us to put our time into. But he valued his friendships, you know? And he didn't have that many friendships because he only wanted to keep people around who he really, really cared about and loved. And like those people were incredibly special to him and he made a point of keeping in touch with them and making them laugh and sending them things. This was something he did for all of us. Yes, he could disappear, but he would always seem to resurface at the exact moment you needed him. When James had a health scare a few years ago, Alex was right there with him in his typical way, sending a steady stream of texts and memes. While I was in the hospital, and especially like the two nights I was like overnight in the ICU, um, he and I were messaging constantly, and I would not have gotten through that week without him literally staying up all night with me just like messaging me and checking in and seeing how i was doing and me just like sending funny bad pictures i like sent him i sent him a selfie of myself like when i was in the icu um attached to all this shit and he, <laughs> he replied back can you just post that on instagram and say goodbye because i looked like i was dying <laughs> it just cracked me the hell up 
This was part of why Alex was always posting so much funny stuff online. It helped him deal with his own sadness and bring light to others, too. Sometimes you could really see through his videos that he's having a bad day, but he's just doing like a performance. For Britney, dancing is therapy. And I think for Alex, it was like, I think that was his outlet to deal with everything. But whether you saw one of his memes or laughed with him on a roller coaster, you always felt his love. Alex had that energy about him that you could just open and everything you said is kind of normal and there's no, you know, being smart about it is just pure compassion. He really understood people. After he died, all of us in Team Thor Daniels came across so many other people he'd helped along the way. And there were many, many more we couldn't even track down. He would drop in and out of people's lives, but even if he didn't keep every single person he met in his orbit forever, for Alex, connecting with and supporting other people was everything. The driving force of his life. When the most important thing in your life is to find connection and meaning, and meaning through connection, with very little regard for anything else, like career, it's imperative that you find people that understand you. Even though he's gone, it's like he's still offering us that understanding and still helping us learn the lessons he taught us while he was here. Beth recalls one moment in particular, the summer after Alex died. She'd been seeing someone who turned out to be kind of a dick. This guy that I was sort of dating loosely basically turned on NPR and I was still talking to him because he asked me to stay for coffee the next morning. So I'm talking to him and he's like, could you... And he kind of like cuts me off, like, shut up. And he's like, why don't you check out the porch? Like, he basically banished me to the porch, this man. So I go on the porch, I'm sitting there, I'm drinking this coffee, and I'm looking out into the hills. And I just start crying, not sobbing, just silently crying, thinking of Alex. And him saying, like, you should be with a guy who treats you well. I think sometimes when um, I'm in nature or L.A. or looking at that, like, I definitely think of him. And uh, I should have totally never talked to that guy again, but don't worry, I'm sure I stayed a couple extra weeks. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Now I can add one more person to the list of people who Alex connected with, people who helped him feel understood and who he helped in so many other rule-shattering ways in return. Someone else who is still carrying Alex with them, too. He really understood what I was going through, like a lot of people, you know, they try to understand, but they, they, they don't. But when it comes to like a person who really like understands, you know, there's nothing like that. Nothing can beat that. One night, not long after finding Alice, I asked Lexi if she has any other audio or video messages from Alex I might not know about. She forwards three voicemails. The first I play is one he left on Lexi's birthday. Well, 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 looks like someone's going to have to change their voicemail from their 29-year-old voice to their third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-third-
He may have started quoting Britney lyrics there at the end of it, but I'm focused on something else. It's painful to hear Alex talk about something he'll never do. Grow old. There's also something really beautiful about it, though. It reminds me that, at least in moments, Alex could imagine a future in which he was happy. As I listen to Lexi's voicemails, a light bulb goes off. I remember that for three years, I used a free digital voicemail service that would email me audio files and transcripts of my messages. I hadn't used the account in half a decade, but when I log into the voicemail service, I find over a dozen messages from Alex. A lot of them are him singing Britney songs. If they aren't him singing Britney, most of them include at least a nod to her. Hey, it's Alex. Um, I'm just calling because I am Brittany Jean. I am your mother. I am your friend. I am funny. I am your life. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, and I'm also just calling because I love you and I miss you. Most of them are funny, but then... Hey, Chris, it's Alex. Uh, I just wanted to say hey, and it's been a while. I feel like I did. I've never met this too. It's been a while. I guess I should you But I'm here now. Another funny Britney reference, of course, but the humor is overshadowed by a familiar feeling. Guilt. I hear him saying, it's been a while, and that that was common. And I begin to tell myself, see, you were a bad friend. Not there for him. The same thoughts I had the first moment I saw his goodbye email in my inbox. But then the message continues. I just want to call. There, I love you and A, and thanks for being a good friend in the last month. Really, I've known you. I love you. Bye. In the year after Alex died, I kept telling myself this story that I'd failed him, that I'd been a neglectful friend, that he went online in search of understanding because I hadn't been the friend he needed. But here he was in his own voice, saying otherwise. Another gift. The truth is, I went looking for Alice because I wanted her to have significance, whether she was Britney or not. Though, of course, part of me did really want Alice to be Britney because it'd be this affirmation that Alex was special, and in turn, that I was special too. That he sent these files to me as a way of saying he trusted me with this amazing secret. I used to scoff at some of the commenters on Britney's Instagram posts, but now I understand them. We're all searching for meaning in the mundane. If you need help, when Alex died, I felt like everything was out of my control. Things I couldn't go back and change about the past and so much I didn't understand about the present. But if I could keep moving, picking, searching, Maybe I could outrun my uncertainties, regrets, and questions, or even uncover some critical meaning. Something I'd missed. Some key to unlock the entire puzzle. As long as I was investigating, it felt like maybe there was still more to learn, to discover. More to the story. Some new detail that would make me feel better. But sometimes the story is just done. Even if it doesn't end how you thought or hoped it might even if you still feel unresolved. The coaster reaches its summit, drops, you do the loops, and then it's time to get off. The ride's over. My search through Alex's online wonderland is done, and now I have to keep moving forward with all my uncertainties and sadness. But I can see now that new stories are already flowering. They're in everything and everyone Alex left behind. In Alice, in Shoshi, in Beth and James and Dua and Lexi. They're in all the people far beyond this little circle, the countless people whose lives Alex touched, some I'm fortunate enough to know and others I've yet to meet. They're in Brittany and the outpouring of love for her that's happened in the time since Alex died. 
in the rest of the world catching up with the humanity that Alex saw in her years ago. And they are flowering in me, in all the places this search took me, and places still undiscovered, places where I've locked away other pieces of my love for Alex. They are there, little stories still unread, constellating a meaning I do not yet understand, waiting patiently for the moment I need them. Alex is there too, as real to me now as ever. In my archives, he's still laughing at how serious I am, how eagerly I look for meaning everywhere, how desperately I cling to the things that I think will make me important and worthy, and loving me anyway. Our texts, tweets, Instagram messages, emails, those SoundCloud files he sent me without context. They now serve as a kind of map I can go back to, one that charts out the lessons he taught me, one that will help me make my way through a world without him. In these little digital fragments Alex left behind, he is still here, still telling me to stop trying so hard to impress everyone, to just relax and be myself. He is still here, offering me understanding and showing me how to be real by example. I didn't know it when I began, but looking for Alice was my way of charting a map back to Alex. But the roadways were there all along. There's one voicemail I've played little bits of a couple times throughout this show. It's one I keep going back to again and again, like I first did with those SoundCloud files. Here's the full thing. There's a star where you're from, how's it going? I know you. Got a clue what you're doing. You can say I do. There were all the other chicks out here, but I know what you are. What you are, baby. You know what I'm saying. Sorry I've been, like, you know, whatever. But first of all, I live in New Mexico now, and no one ever returns phone calls or ever hangs out. So <laughs> I'm a flaky little bitch now. Also, I was really depressed and really physically ill. So, you know, there was no point in doing anything. But... Right now, in this owner, I feel good. But here, not a So what the fuck am I supposed to do with my life? I don't know. But I hope you're doing okay. Thinking of you. Loving you. Sometimes, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do with my life now that you're not around, Alex. I think of you all the time. It's bittersweet, but lately, it's more sweet than bitter. Because you left so many gifts. Not just the Alice files that sent me chasing after one of your strange mysteries, but all the clues and questions you left. Things that push me to try and be more myself, like you always were. I'm not done following your lead. Your example has been one of the greatest gifts of my life. And even though I have to do so without you now, I'm going to try to find the faith to keep building on it. Thinking of you. Loving you. Superstar. Unread is created, written, hosted, and executive produced by me, Chris Stedman. Wow, saying all that in a row has me feeling very Mariah Carey. My co-executive producer is the visionary Bethann Macaluso. Our story editor is the iconic Aaron Edwards. Sound design by the tireless Dylan Fagan. Music by the wildly creative Aaron Wong Kaufman, with additional music by legends Ben Saratan and Sadie Dupuis of Sad 13. Logo by the talented Jeff Niazgoda, with additional artwork by my queen Lexi Newman and the wonderful Lucy Quintanilla. Special thanks, of course, to Alice and to Alex's family and friends, especially his mother and father, Shoshi, Lexi, 
Beth, Dua, James, and all of the incredible people who loved Alex. I'm so grateful to each and every one of you. Thanks also to everyone at iHeart, Josh Lindgren at CAA, Shelby Lano, Christina Everett, Emily Marinoff, and the Unread team for bringing Brittany's Instagram comments to life, Ivy Stacklow, Dave Holmes, and Carrie Poppy for offering critical perspective, Alexis O'Brien at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for doing a sensitivity listen, Marissa Brown for fact-checking, and many, many others for support and assistance along the way. And of course, above all else, to Alex for completely changing my life. I love and miss you dearly. Have you sifted through the digital fragments a loved one left behind after their death and tried to make sense of it all, or are you doing so now? Email us at unreadpod at gmail.com or give us a call at 484-321-3382. We'd love to hear your story. For photos, screenshots, memes, and more things mentioned in this show, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at unreadpod. from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.